This is the Dan Grosser Show on 98.7 ESPN. Busy program. Got a lot of things to check off the list as we do each and every night here for you. Uh, John Harper, the great John Harper, our pal, longtime baseball columnist here in the city. SNY will join me coming up in about uh, an hour and a half or so, 8.30. Talk a little Mets-Yankees baseball. We'll do plenty of football and some NBA rumors percolating and that sort of thing. And as always, you get me on Twitter, at Dan Grasa, G-R-A-C-A. Baseball we start, though. Yankees down in Baltimore to take on the O's. That is your uh, Amazon streaming game tonight. It's Friday, which means it's Amazon Prime Night for the Bombers. So you want to watch the Yankees, you're going to have to stream it like all the kids are doing nowadays. It's all the rage. Mets are home. They're going to be taking on the San Diego Padres. Good test for them coming out of the All-Star break. They got good news on DeGrom earlier today. Remember a couple of days ago we were all in panic mode when the reports came out that they were pushing back the sim game an extra day out of an abundance of caution. Well, he threw the sim game yesterday, and all is right with the world. He's going to make at least one more rehab start before he slides back into the rotation if everything checks out okay. So you figure there's not going to be no Mets-Yankees debut for Jake next week. The earliest, maybe next weekend when the Mets are down in Florida to take on the Fish, or a couple of days after that when they move on to D.C. to take on the Nationals. Either way... It kind of lines up to where he can make his first start of the season against one of the, you know, lesser teams in the National League East, either Miami or Washington. We'll see what they decide and how that arm feels after, uh, you know, the next couple of days here he makes his uh, one more rehab start before we get going. Mets actually uh, did make a move within the hour. You know, trade deadline is August 2nd. We're going to talk a lot about it, of course, regarding Juan Soto, which is still the big name out there, and will he or won't he, and... You know, will either New York team be the ones that pry him away from the nation's capital? But the Mets do bring in a bat. It's just not that bat. It's Daniel Vogelbach from the Pittsburgh Pirates. Um, Stocky guy. Uh, He's got some pop from the left side of the plate. Um, So far here this season, you look at his splits and what he's done so far in 2022 for the Pirates. He's got 12 home runs, only batting 228, but... You know, his expertise is he can hit right-handed pitching. I mean, that's what he does. That's what the Mets went ahead and got him for. Against righties this year, he's batting 260, 12 dingers, 27 RBIs, OPS of 896. Not bad. You know, you take a guy who's got almost a 900 OPS, you know, in spot duty, kind of a, you know, specialist type guy, you put that out there. And you see where it's going to get you. I mean, right now, the Mets, because of all the injuries they're dealing with and, you know, the questionable, um, you know, production they've gotten from the left side of the plate. You know, Dom Smith hasn't exactly worked out for him. Now he's on the injured list with the ankle injury. You know, Travis Blankenhorn is going to be the designated hitter tonight when they get underway. Coming up at 740 is what first pitch is because, you know, there was the threat of rain out there and flushing. Sky got dark. There was winds, all that stuff. So the Mets are going to wait a little bit before they play this game here. So Vogelbach is aboard. Now, the problem is they gave up Colin Holderman. And I'm not exactly in love with the Met bullpen. It's not one that I have a thousand percent faith in or trust in. And I think if you watch a team this year, you don't really have any way of thinking differently than I do. Other than Edwin Diaz, you don't really feel too comfortable with anybody else in that bullpen. So Holderman was actually somebody that, you know, in the times we've seen him out there, he's done a decent job. I thought this was somebody that maybe you can, you know, use as a guy. You can integrate into this pen, give him a little bit more high leverage situations as as the weeks progress. But 
It's not going to happen. It's going to be for the Pittsburgh Pirates because that's who they sent in order to get Vogelbach here. But if Vogelbach gets a few home runs, gets a, runs into a couple of them, then you're not going to worry about giving up anybody here if he can help this team fend off the Atlanta Braves and win the National League Eastern Division title here in 2022. So still more moves to come, of course, over the next couple of weeks here and August the 2nd, the big trading deadline. So we'll keep you up to date here on uh, both of the games as we move forward through the night as we do each and every time. But I want to start with the Yankees because, yeah, the Yankees are in Baltimore. And, you know, you'll deal with the Orioles this weekend. Remember, the Orioles are no pushovers either. This isn't the laughing stock of Major League Baseball. They're a 500 team at the All-Star break, which is a lot better than you could say about them for many, many years that preceded this. And that's a good thing. Not that the Orioles are better, but it's a good thing that the Yankees have moved on from Houston. And they were only there for a day. But enough is enough with the Houston Astros. So thank gosh that that is over with. And they don't have to see this Astros team again for the remainder of 2022, at least in the regular season. I think there's a better than good chance that these two are going to lock horns come October. And it'll probably be for the right to go to the World Series as the American League champions. But if you're a Yankee fan, you didn't need these two games over the last couple of days to tell you what you should already know. And I could use all these, you know, clever and funny cliches and whatnot about Houston. We got a problem and, you know, whatever slogan you want to use. Yankees have an Astros problem. There is no other way around it. The Yankees have a problem and they are called the Houston Astros. And that should have been evident to you way before yesterday. It's not a good matchup for them. Now, you want to give them, you know, some people want to maybe give them a pass and say that the two games yesterday don't make a much bigger deal out of it than it is because, eh, you know, it's right out of the All-Star break. You know, they might have been rusty a little bit, having a few days off. You know, you lose your rhythm somewhat. But I don't think you could say that. Maybe if you are the eternal optimist, you want to go in that direction. Otherwise, you look at it for what it is, and you deal with the reality of the situation, and that is the Astros don't fear the Yankees. You know, the Astros could care less about how many games the Yankees have won and how many world championships the Yankees have won and so on and so forth and all of those things. And, you know, Aaron Boone made comments about that after the game yesterday, which I thought were pretty telling. And we'll play those for you here in just a second. But if you thought that yesterday and the All-Star break and rust and rhythm was really the big problem, well, then how do you explain the other five games so far this year? What kind of rationale do you take from that? And those games in the Bronx. You know, the Yankees and Astros played seven games this year. 64 innings. Right? One of them went 10 innings. In all 64 innings that the Yankees and Astros played against each other this year, the Yankees did not take one single at bat. One. Not a one. With a lead in any of those seven games against the Astros. Think about that for a second. And I know that regular seasons are not the end-all, be-all. They're not the precursor as to how things are going to go when they play again in October. I totally get that. We've seen too many examples to the contrary, right? Mets and Cubs in 2015, Cubs won all seven games during the regular season, swept them. And then the Mets swept them in the NLCS. Mets and Dodgers, 1988, Mets won all but one game against the Dodgers during the regular season. Dodgers beat them in seven games to win the NL pennant and then went on to win the World Series. 
But you didn't play a high caliber of baseball against this club. You hit 151 in the seven games against the Astros. That is, by the way, the lowest in franchise history for the Yankees versus a single opponent in one season. A buck 51 against the Astros. And that's the thing with Houston. Like, they get this reputation as being a team that has the deep lineup and they can score a lot of runs. And now Jordan Alvarez has come into his own, and he's certainly one of the most feared hitters in all the Major League Baseball. But you know what? The Astros are a pretty damn good pitching staff, too. And I think from top to bottom, one through five, I'll take the Astros rotation over the New York Yankees. Especially with the uncertainty involving Luis Severino and Sue when he's going to be there. And now you just got a two-and-a-half game lead over them. And you lose the tiebreaker, by the way. That goes to Houston because they beat you during the regular season. And home field is important. Don't think it isn't. That will come in handy come October. Right? 2017, you went down to Houston for the American League Championship Series and you scored three runs in losing all four of the games that you played down there at Minute Maid Park. 2019, get in fair too well when you had to play those games down in Houston in the ALCS. So the last two times the Yankees and Astros played each other in the playoffs, the Yankees have lost six of the seven games that are played down at Minute Maid Park. And oh, by the way, didn't win a game there this year. Not a game. Astros are not afraid of playing games at Yankee Stadium. They proved that already. They came in and no hit you. They no hit you. They shut you down. And I'm not saying the Yankees aren't afraid or are afraid to go down into Houston and play, but maybe they're pressing a little bit, right? Maybe it's in the back of their minds that, all right, the bats have gone cold down there. I'm not throwing in what they did late in the game last night with the judge home run and the three runs when the game was already out of reach. Houston's got their number. Yanks have an Astros problem. And Aaron Boone was asked about it after the game last night by the media when he was in his office talking to the media so this was after game number two losing regular season games though according to the skipper just doesn't really matter all that much to him because he knows these two clubs are destined to meet once again come October doesn't matter doesn't matter you asking the question doesn't matter what my answer is right now if it comes down to it in October the proof will be in the pudding do we get it done and then you can have your way and say we this this did affect us going into the season or, or it didn't like it, I mean I get it great team we're a great team a lot of history you know I so I get the storyline and the excitement around it we get excited around it when we get to play another great team but it's not gonna it's not gonna matter if we won seven lost seven if we play them in the postseason that's what's gonna matter It does to a certain degree. Now, look, you could change the narrative completely that if you do meet them in October and if you do meet them in the playoffs, then you go out there and you beat them. But that's the only way it's going to change. But I got to tell you something. Between now and October, let's be frank. We've seen seven games already between these two teams. And when they step out on the field together, one looks like the superior club over the other. And it ain't the team in pinstripes. It's not. And I know that the Yankees have the better record. That's what the standings say and all that stuff. But if you've watched baseball so far this season, 90-plus games, can you really sit there and say objectively, I don't care if you're a Yankee fan or not, but can you really honestly say 
based on what you've seen, that the Yankees are better than the Houston Astros? Can you really sit there and say and try to convince yourself that the Yankees are still the best team in Major League Baseball because they have a couple more wins than the Astros do? But doesn't that go out the window when the two teams play each other and the Astros have gained the upper hand? I mean, it's almost been like cliche, really, for the first three and a half months of the season. Yankees are the best team. Yankees are the best team. Let's analyze that a little bit deeper. Because from where I'm sitting right now, and I am right there down the middle. I don't have a dog in the fight one way or the other. Right? I'm just sitting here trying to speak the truth. That's what they pay me to do. That's why I'm sitting here for a few hours talking to each and every night. That's what I'm here for. Let me be your counselor. I have a hard time sitting here on July the 22nd in the year of our Lord, 2022, at 7.15 at night, Eastern Standard Time, by the way, that the New York Yankees are the best team in baseball. I don't know if I could believe that with a straight face. You? 800-919-3776. That is the telephone number. We come back. I want to hear a little bit of Aaron Boone because he joined Don and Peter today on the K-Show and kind of expanded a little bit further on some of the comments he made after the game last night and addressed some other things as well. And, you know, it's interesting to hear it come out of the manager's mouth about where his team is headed now, not just going into Baltimore this weekend, but I think it's an important next two weeks for the Yankees, for the Mets, for the Astros, for any team in baseball. Use the opportunity leading up to this deadline to potentially affect the outcome and affect the final chapters of what the story of your season is going to be. Who's going to make that move that's going to put them over the top? And, oh, by the way, it doesn't have to be the guy in Washington, D.C. who turned down $440 million either. Busy show for you here on this Friday night. It's Dan Grasso with you. We roll till 10. We got it started right after this on 98.7 ESPN. Grasso with you here on 9870 ESPN, 800-919-3776. That is the telephone number. So what do you take from that? As I said, I, I, I don't know that it's a, sh- a sure thing anymore, a certainty, that it's the Yankees who are the best team in baseball and not the Houston Astros. Because whenever they butted heads, Houston seems to have the upper hand. And it's not like we're talking about a difference in the standings by, you know, 10, 15 games. They're separated by a couple of games. And who knows what it's going to look like in just a couple of weeks. But Aaron Boone joined Peter and Don today on the Michael K Show. And among the things they discussed were, you know, the series against the Houston Astros. And he said that one thing he's not a fan of is the overreaction whenever they lose a game against the Strokes. We're not going to be able to beat them now. We can't. I, I just, right. I find it all ridiculous, well, ridiculous, especially coming out of a, like yesterday's was wonky a day where you're coming out of the all-star break and you have a day night, one day double header at 12 and six. Like it's a weird, awkward where you're not even lined mm-hmm. up pitching wise necessarily how you would be like, it's just, it just becomes an overreaction. And I'd say that had we swept yesterday. <laughs> like, I'd well, say the same exact thing. I could only meet him halfway there. I know what he's trying to say. Don't get me wrong. I really and truly appreciate what he's trying to say. But let's remember something. 
Was it not a weird, wonky day for the Houston Astros? What was the only difference? That the Astros got to sleep in their own beds and the Yankees slept in a five-star hotel? Huh? Where they put mints on the pillow and everything? That was the wonky day for the Yankees coming out of the All-Star break? They knew the games were scheduled. You know, they are professional athletes. They got to have in the back of their mind, if they want to have fun on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday and all that stuff and enjoy their break, they got to know they got two games in Houston on Thursday. It's not like baseball scheduled those games the night before. They knew they were being played. The Astros knew they were being played, and they didn't have a problem getting up for them. And, oh, by the way, does it concern you at all? Or, or How about pointing out the fact that the Astros didn't even throw their two best pitchers in those games yesterday, in Verlander and Framber Valdez, and still won both of them, and still shut down that Yankee lineup for the most part. You know, the Dodgers had a 5-0 lead last night against the Giants. That's a rivalry game. Right out of the All-Star break. They had 53,000 people at Dodger Stadium. And by the way, that game last night at Dodger Stadium was a hell of a lot better than the All-Star game on Tuesday night that was there. I could tell you that. But the Dodgers had a 5-0 lead in that game going into the 6th or 7th inning. You think the Giants could have just rolled over because it's a wonky day right out of the All-Star break? No. Giants came back, took a 6-5 lead. And then the Dodgers, instead of rolling over, came right back and then ended up winning the game. Betts hit a three-run home run in the late innings. Betts was just showing off, by the way, in that game. Showing off. That's how good of a run he's on. So, I mean, I, I get it. You know what? The manager is, is taking one for his team, trying to deflect some of the attention. I get all that stuff. But both teams are playing by the same rules here. It works both ways. Now, what about the criticism that Yanks missed a little bit of an opportunity to maybe widen the narrow lead that they have over these Houston Astros? I understand that's your reaction to it, but concern, like what level, like, what do you want me to do concern wise? Like what, what are we to do about it? Like it is what it is. We got beat yesterday, two games. Like there wasn't much, you know, we could have done more. Like Garrett Cole wasn't pitching yesterday. Tyone wasn't pitching yesterday. Seve's on the IL. Nestor was not going to pitch yesterday coming out of the All-Star break where we're trying to be careful with his innings where I'm slotting him at the back of this series. Like, mm-hmm. like I don't understand, you know, <laughs> you know, we, you know, as much as we are knock on wood have been very healthy and are very healthy. We're also, you know, got a veteran team that's in the middle of the grind of the season. That's beat up a little bit and you got to be mindful of that. See, again, that just, that just fuels even further what I got done saying after his first remark. They didn't pitch their two best guys. So you can't say you didn't have Garrett Cole, you didn't have Severino. I mean, come on. And by the way, Garrett Cole is no Justin Verlander. Best pitcher in the series is on Houston. And when they meet in the playoffs, the best pitcher in the series will still be on the Houston Astros. He didn't pitch yesterday either. Jordan Alvarez came off the injured list and still looked like Jordan Alvarez. He'd been laid up for a few days. But I like that. I like the feistiness from Aaron Boone. Instead of just the cliches, he's actually fighting back, trying to give you something, trying to give hope, instill hope in the Yankee fan. I admire that. I like that. You know, you don't want your manager out there just saying the same old, same old. He's he's giving you something, right? So last but not least, and not to, you know, continue to belabor the whole Astros thing, but why? Did he sound so annoyed after that game or the two games yesterday in Houston? I, I'm annoyed because I don't like losing two games in a day, let alone one. <laughs> yeah. Right, 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 right. <laughs> you know, and when we're playing a good team and, you know, where I know certainly it's a storyline, 
what I but but then on top of it, the ridiculousness of of the storyline, like like it matters in the grand scheme of things. We're going to have to win in October. That's how we're going to be judged. We understand that, and we agree with that. Like like, and it does. It, you know, last year we we went four and two against the Astros and 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 lost the the actually last game of that season series when we had a five run lead in the ninth inning when we melted down there otherwise we're going five and one so we've had season series since i've been there where we've done really well against them what i'm saying is i believe that has little to zero bearing on if we meet up in the postseason what's going to transpire then (laughs) he's not wrong Right. He's not wrong because all that you remember is what happens in October. I I gave you a couple of examples. Right. Like with the Mets. 2015 got swept by the Cubs in the regular season. And those were like one sided matchups. And then they beat their brains in in the NLCS and swept them. All you remember is the Mets swept the Cubs to go to the World Series. 1988, despite the fact the Mets dominated the Dodgers during the regular season, Dodgers had their number in the league championship series, beat them to go on and win the World Series. That's all anybody remembers. So the Yankees play, if they show up in October and knock out the Houston Astros, all this stuff is a moot point. Like, we're sitting here wasting our time. I could be sitting here breaking down over-unders in the NFL season. We don't even have to be sitting here talking about the Yankees. But, but, there's no evidence that that's going to happen. And if you want to judge it based upon the information that we've received up until this point from the last couple of years and even this year, Yankees don't play well against the Astros when it matters the most, right? I'm not going to give you the wild card game from 2015. There's only one guy on the Houston Astros who was even on that team still, and that was Altuve. He's the only guy that played in that wild card game in 15 that's still on the club now in in any sort of significant role. So that's not fair. But 17 certainly is par for the course. Same thing with 19, and sure as hell, the seven games that we saw them play here in 2022. That is up for discussion. And remember something, and I like Aaron Boone. I like him a lot, okay? But Aaron Boone was hired after 2017 because the front office didn't think that Joe Girardi could get them any further and didn't think that Joe Girardi was the right guy to maximize the ability of all this young talent that the Yankees were ushering in. And Joe Girardi got him to game seven against those Houston Astros. And that team had no expectations that year. Nobody at the beginning of 2017 thought the Yankees were a World Series caliber team. Nobody did. Remember, they had youngsters on that team. Nobody knew Aaron Judge was going to hit 50 home runs and have an MVP-type season that year. Nobody. Greg Bird was the big, hot-shot young player. Him and Gary Sanchez, not Aaron Judge. And Girardi did a hell of a job managing that. Girardi did a better job managing the Yankees in 17 than he did in 2009 when they won a World Series. And what did he get as thanks? He got shown the door. So Boone comes in, and Boone has never gotten this team to within one game of the World Series. And despite the fact he got a new contract, he knows the pressure's on. It's New York City. You got to win, and you got to win big, especially when you're the manager of the Yankees. Thoughts? 800-919-3776. We'll dive into it a little bit deeper with you. And also, the latest on Juan Soto, and I'll tell you why, that is not the end-all, be-all transaction to make by August 2nd if you're the Yankees and if you're the New York Mets. Stan Grasso with you on a Friday night. It's 9870 ESPN. Head to the phones. We'll say hi to Vinny in the Bronx. He's going to start us off here on 98.7. Vin, how are you? Hey, good. How you doing? 
What's up, Vin? Nothing. I heard the uh, the audio of Boone talking on the K show today, and I get his point how today's or yesterday's game mean nothing once we see them in October if we do. But as a Yankee fan, anyone who's watched them play this year, their offense has done nothing against the Astros pitching, and it's not an anomaly. The Astros have one of the best starting rotations ERA wise. They have one of the best bullpens ERA wise. And it's not unlike the Yankees in the postseason to go through. Looks like we lost Vinny there. Vin, thanks for the call. Better sell service next time. That'll do the trick. But he's right. You know, the Yankees haven't done anything against the Houston Astros this year. We talked about it. It's about a buck 51. Buck 51. They did not take a single at bat in any of the seven games against the Houston Astros with a lead. Now, do you think you're going to have that much luck if you are fortunate enough to meet them again in the playoffs? If you don't have a lead for any of bats in the seven games, what are you going to win all four? You're going to win four of them in walk-off style, and that's going to get you to the next round and, and moving on maybe to a World Series? I wouldn't want to leave that to chance again. No shot. Now, look, you know what the funny thing would be? Like, we sit here and we spend so much time talking about Yankees can't play with the Astros. They can't beat them. They got their number. Watch somebody take care of the Astros for the Yankees, right? Wouldn't that be great? And I'll tell you, if you're a Yankee fan, that's what you should be rooting for, right? You hope and pray that there's another team in the American League somewhere. I don't know who it is. You know, whether it's one of those other clubs in the American League East. You know, like a Tampa or a Toronto or something that maybe just maybe they pick off Houston doing the Yankees a favor so they don't have to deal with them themselves. I mean, anybody who can remember back in the Subway Series year in 2000, you know, the only reason that we had a Subway Series in 2000, one reason and one reason only, it's because the St. Louis Cardinals did the Mets a favor and beat the Atlanta Braves in the National League Division Series. Because anybody that was around then could tell you, the Mets could not beat the Atlanta Braves. It's a little bit like Yankees-Astros. The only difference was they were in the same division, of course. But the Mets couldn't beat Atlanta, whether it was in the regular season, whether it was in the postseason. Remember, they lost to them in the LCS the year before. But St. Louis beat the Braves and got them out of the way for the Mets. So then the Mets, all they had to do was beat the Cardinals, and they did. And that's why they went to the World Series. But if it was Yankee or if it was Mets Braves for the NLCS, would we have even had a Subway Series? I'm not so sure. Probably would have had another Yankees Braves World Series again for the second straight year. That's what you need to have happen again here in 2022. Let somebody else do the heavy lifting. Nobody's going to look back on it and say, well, well, you know, it's not a legitimate championship because they didn't have to beat the Astros. Who cares? You beat who is in front of you. That's all you can control. Limo driver Ed in Pennsylvania, my buddy, my pal. He's up next here on 98.7. Eddie, how you been? Hey, buddy. How you doing, man? What's I haven't up, heard Ed? from you. I was, on my, I was just coming home. I got a limo run at 4 a.m., so I said, well, let me call my man before I go ahead and get in the shower and go to bed. But uh, listen, I, real quick on the Yankees, they done stole yep. the Yankees' heart. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I said, stole. They done oh, stole yeah. the Yankees' heart. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. But listen. On my Mets here, um, I just when I was driving, I heard you talking about we just picked up a slugger from Pittsburgh, Daniel Vogelbach. Yep, 
Oh, go back. Okay, okay, okay. And it's still early. You know, the trading deadline is when, when's the trading deadline? August the 2nd. You can so we got, what, about 10, 11 more days. Okay, okay. That, that you know, it looks pretty good. I mean, we're still looking for some more, bit, uh, I guess, bullpen help. Um, now, when DeGrom comes back, who goes to back to the bullpen? Which pitcher? Well, I don't, start? David Peterson will probably be the guy who's going to be featured more in like a long relief type of a role. And, and remember, Ed, you know this. We've already seen it so far here in the middle of July. You can never have enough starting pitching depth, right? You can no, never you have enough no, of it. No, no, you can't. And that's what I'm looking at right now. You know, uh, for the season, I, you know, listen, I think we have the number with, you know, I think we got the Braves number. Tell you the truth, Bell. I think I think we do this year. I think this is going to maybe be the year that we have. And also, too, if you look at our schedule for the second half of the season, look at the Braves' schedule. They got a tougher schedule than we do. Got a lot of games you know, against the Braves. Still, remember, what is it, 12 more games against the Braves head-to-head, and they're going to play, let me see, one, two, three, four. They're going to play, Mets and Braves are going to square off, Ed, nine times from August the 4th to August the 18th. In a two-week period, the Mets and Braves are going to play nine times. All right, then. Well, we got to, hey, we got to come strong. I, I think we have the team this year to do it. I, you know what? I'm going to tell you one thing. Bring in Buck. And, I, I, you know, when the season first started, I looked at him. This man knows so much about baseball. He'd be telling umpires, you know, what the rules are. And I'm looking at him as he's doing this. He has made a difference in our team. Now, last year, a couple of years ago, you know what? We had a mind frame. We just folded up. It, it just gets the second half of the season. We wound up just folding. I think with Buck, he knows the maneuvers. He knows how to, you know, have players and stuff like that. Buck's not the kind of guy, too, that's not going to get in your face. You know, and I think these players understand that, and they respect Buck. And I, I think this year might be our year, man. This might be our year this year. I hope so. I'm going to pray for it, and um, I'm going to get ready for the shower. I appreciate you, brother, as always. I will keep up, you know, because, man, you everywhere now. My God, I hear you all over the place now, dude. I and mean, just, you know, all the years I've been talking to you, you know, you everywhere. <laughs> and I'm just trying to make a living, brother. You know how it is. I'm trying to keep the roof over my head. You know it's a struggle. And I appreciate the phone call, Ed. Nobody works harder than Ed. He's the man. Limo driver, Ed. You need a limo ride? You get my man Ed on the phone there. He'll take care of you. Um, look, I think it's kind of ironic, don't you? Like I just got done saying that the Mets and the Braves are going to play that many times right after the trade deadline. How about that? Right? August 4th. When that Met Brave stretch begins, that's two days after the deadline. So it's almost like potentially a new-look Mets team, a new-look Atlanta Braves team, may the best team win. I mean, I don't think it's a stretch to say that those nine games during that 14-day stretch in August could quite probably decide who wins the National League East, right? I mean, if these two clubs are separated by the narrow margin that they are right now, you mean to tell me that those games aren't going to mean a heck of a lot? You're darn right they will. And what the good news is, barring anything unforeseen, at least you hope, by August the 4th, you hope that number 48 rejoins this starting rotation with the New York Mets in Mr. DeGrom. Mets and Padres just underway after a little bit of a delay because they were worried about the rain coming down and that sort of thing. So they are underway. Mets wearing their black unis on a Friday night. Yanks and Orioles are scoreless in the second inning down at Camden Yards. Of course, we keep you up to date on both of those. When we come back, though, Juan Soto's the big ticket before August the 2nd. Everybody is tripping over themselves about trying to get their hands on him. 
if not for the next 15 years, at least for the next couple of years, right? Because after all, got to find a way to improve your club. And Soto's the guy. Soto's the man. But is that really the best option for you? And with the Yankees, there's a different angle to it as well because it might mean the cost of Aaron Judge quite possibly. We'll get into the pros and cons next. Dan Grasso with you on 98.7 ESPN. This is the Dan Grasso Show on 98.7 ESPN. In case you're just joining us, Mets get Daniel Vogelbach. He, a left-handed bat from the Pittsburgh Pirates, been around. You know, he's played for several teams throughout his career. You know, a little bit of Seattle along the way, then Milwaukee, Pittsburgh. Actually made an all-star team a couple of years ago, believe it or not. But he's got some pop. He can get a hold of one from the left side. And now with Dominic Smith on the shelf, who knows what his future is going to be. I mean, I don't even know if Dominic Smith's going to be a part of this team after August 2nd. If he gets healthy with that ankle and they can move him in a package, who knows. But Vogelbach is here. Let's take a listen to the general manager. Here's Billy Epler meeting with the media a couple of minutes ago on what the move will do for his team. Yeah, I mean, we wanted to get an offensive player in here, um, and we think we did that in, uh, in landing bogey and, uh, you know, somebody that's really excelled against right-handed pitching. And, you know, I think we all kind of know that two-thirds of the pitchers we face are right-handed. Um, and uh, so he could be a presence in, uh, in the order. That's what you hope. I mean, look, he's not going to be somebody that changes the fortunes of your team like Joanna Cespedes did when they acquired him in 2015 and they went on and won a pennant and got to the World Series. I mean, we're not saying that. It's just, you know, a guy, as I said, that hopefully can run into one on every so often and, you know, just improves that club, uh, you know, their power hitting from the left side of the plate. Mets are, you know, when you think about the Mets and how they put runs on the scoreboard, a lot of it is not as predicated as much on the home run ball. You know, they're probably somewhere around middle of the pack, I would say, in baseball in terms of hitting the ball out of the park. So if you add another guy to the mix who primarily, remember, primarily he's going to get his opportunities against right-handers, um, there's nothing wrong with that. It, it, you know, at the expense of Colin Holderman, and Colin Holderman, like I said, he showed you some good things, but you don't know what he was going to ever be and, you know, what his career was going to become or not become. Guy was still very young into his career. So I think it's a worthwhile gamble. You take a risk, you roll the dice, you see what happens here. Now, a much bigger transaction would be if you swung for the fences literally and tried to bring in a Juan Soto. We know the Yankees have reached out. We know that the Mets have reached out. Pretty much every team in Major League Baseball at least thinks that they can bring him in. And remember something. Again, yes, there's probably only a handful of teams out of the 30 that are going to sign him to a long-term contract. Sign him. But that's not for now. That's not for today. That's not for between now and August 2nd. He's a rental player for the next two years. Until he puts pen to paper, and until he signs that long-term contract, anybody can have him. That's why I've said many, many a times, take a team like the Tampa Bay Rays. All right, Tampa Bay, they are not a high payroll team. They're one of the smallest payrolls in baseball. They are not a large revenue team, right? They've got that dump of the ballpark down there at Tropicana Field. They're not raking them in. They're not one of the, you know, more marketable franchises in Major League Baseball. But you know what Tampa Bay has? Tampa Bay's got a rich, deep farm system with a lot of prospects, which are rated very highly across Major League Baseball. So Tampa Bay could pick up the phone, call Mike Rizzo, the general manager of the Nationals, and say, hey, 
You know what we got in our system. Who would you like? And you know what? Maybe you can even have one or two young players that are major league ready on our team now and give us Juan Soto. And you know what the Rays would do with a Juan Soto? They'd keep him for the next two years. And then, what year are we in? 22, 23? And then in 2024, either before the season starts in 24 or during the season, because remember, his contract is up at the end of the year, Tampa Bay trades him. Tampa Bay trades him for a bounty, and then they get back a good percentage of what they gave up to acquire Juan Soto in the first place. I mean, that's the possibilities we're talking about. And that's why this next 10 days or whatnot, it's not just going to come down to which team can spend the most money. That has nothing to do with this. I've gone on record as saying, and I'm going to say it again, I believe that Juan Soto is going to play for multiple teams between now and when he signs that long-term massive mega contract extension. He's going to get traded someplace, and then he's probably going to get traded again by that team to the club that he'll ultimately sign with long-term. Okay, nobody is doing that when you still have two-plus years left on the contract. It would be nice if you could do it in a perfect world because, really, you think about the premium. I think about what it's going to cost you. And it's not just the Yankees. It's not just the Mets. It's not just the big money teams, for example, that you think about who would be the ones in store to get themselves Soto long term. I mean, take a team like the San Francisco Giants. You mean to tell me San Francisco's got money. They don't necessarily go out there and throw it around like each and every year in free agency and make big, splashy free agent signings, especially since their current front office group, led by Farhan Zaidi, who came from the Los Angeles Dodgers and that sort of, you know, sabermetric type of, you know, building a ball club. You know, they make very small, wise signings. You know, one-year deals on pitchers. That's what they did last year, and they pieced that club together, and they won 107 games. But the Giants will spend money. Ownership gives them a green light and says on occasion, yeah, you could spend. They've done it in the past. And they really have not had that mega bona fide superstar player since, what, Barry Bonds? When he go back that far? So it's a lot more challenging than just, oh, hey, it's the Mets, it's the Yanks, it's New York. They got the most money, so they're going to be the ones to get them. Not necessarily. And the latest report is from John Heyman of the Post. Mets and Yankees both are not interested in trading at least three of their top prospects. My attitude with prospects has always been they got potential, right? They're ballyhooed, they're highly rated, all those things. And potential is great. But as far as I'm concerned, you give me proven over potential seven days a week and twice on Sunday. I will take the guys who you know what they are getting any day of the week. Give me the proven commodity when it comes to team building. So if they want prospects, if they want minor leaguers, be my guest. Because do you really know what these guys are going to be? And, and I think you don't even have to go back that far with at least the Mets. And think back to the Edwin Diaz-Robinson Cano trade with Seattle, which everybody hated at the time and everybody hated for years. And I still think they gave up a lot. But it was more, they gave up more than they should have given the fact that they absorbed all that ridiculous money still on the Cano contract. But it was really for Edwin Diaz. But remember, the Mets gave up Jared Kelnick. Jared Kelnick, 
jewel of their farm system, future star, can't miss prospect. Guy's going to be a stud in baseball. Well, guess what? Jared Kelnick has yet to establish himself as a major, major leaguer in the last couple of years. Jared Kelnick can't even stay in the big leagues, number one. And Jared Kelnick has already been supplanted by Julio Rodriguez as the best young outfielder on his own damn team in the Seattle Mariners. So that's what we think about prospects and rankings and ratings. And I understand you got to draw the line at some point. You're not just going to give them the keys to your minor league system and say, okay, take whoever the hell you want how many times you want them. That ain't fair. But it comes with a cost. And with the Yankees, I know people kind of have disputed this theory, but I, 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 I still don't believe it. There's people who think that they could you know, have their cake and eat it too. That they can trade for Juan Soto, sign Juan Soto long-term, and still sign Aaron Judge at the end of the year to a long-term contract. Really? That's happening? Because correct me if I'm wrong, George Steinbrenner still ain't running the Yankees, right? It's not 1999, is it? Yankees aren't an ATM machine, are they? Because you know what? They, they might have this reputation as one, but when was the last time the Yankees really went out there and flexed their muscles and acted like an ATM machine with a bottomless pit? How many times on the open market with free agents, free agents, have they gone big game hunting over the last 10 years and signed the most coveted free agent that was available, not named Garrett Cole? Aside from Cole, that's the only one. How many other guys have the Yankees missed out on or maybe didn't even throw all their resources into like they would have done hands down 20-plus years ago when George was still running the show? So what you're telling me is they're going to pay Juan Soto $450 million or more, and then they're also going to give Aaron Judge probably at least $250 million or more? And what lifetime in what universe? And Yankee fans, they don't want to part with Aaron Judge, God forbid, which is the wrong answer, by the way. They have this undying loyalty towards Aaron Judge. And I'll tell you why I think that's a mistake, plus... Jets are going to have a little bit of a new look for this upcoming season. We'll get into all that as we start Hour 2. Dan Grasso with you on 98.7 ESPN. I mean, I love summer. I love the warm weather. Don't get me wrong, but not this. This is like, my gosh, enough is enough. It's like you're living right on the sun. We deserve better. Uh, at Dan Grasso is where you can get me on Twitter, G-R-A-C-A. John Harper, S-N-Y, longtime baseball columnist. We'll join me in about a half an hour. We'll talk a little Mets-Yankees, the pursuit of one Juan Soto. And, you know, I, I was saying before we hit the top there that, you know, talking to a lot of people over the last few days and really since this story has kind of gained some steam about, you know, if the Yankees are indeed going to make this move for Soto, and if it comes down to a choice, like the majority of fans, I think, still side with keeping Aaron Judge. And throwing your resources to Aaron Judge as opposed to making the trade for Soto and then, oh, yeah, oh, trying to pay him too. But I think at this point, you don't even have to worry about signing him long term. Because you know what the Yankees can do? Yankees can re-sign Aaron Judge at the end of the season. But before they even get to that point, they can give Washington whatever they want prospect-wise. And they could acquire Soto for the next two-plus years. You know, you talk contract with him. You talk to Scott Boris. You see if maybe he could come to some sort of a middle ground. You know, you kick in some deferrals and pay the contract out over decades, kind of like what Bobby Bonilla has going on with the New York Mets, right? 
But nothing says that these guys can't be teammates for at least the next couple of years. And, oh, by the way, that'll give you a pretty good chance to win a championship, don't you think? Isn't that something you should sign up for? But if it does come down to, like, one or the other, you know, the Yankee fans' undying loyalty to Aaron Judge and for what he represents and just because he's homegrown and he came up as a Yankee and the pinstripes and all the home runs and the commercials and the judges' court out there in right field. All right, that's great. That's really all well and good. It's fantastic. But from a pure baseball decision, it's not very smart. It doesn't make the most sense. Juan Soto's 23 years of age. Juan Soto's a guy who's doing things in the batter's box that are of historic nature when it comes to his approach and his discipline and getting on base and his production. I I mean, Aaron Judge is no slouch. I get it. But the fact that Juan Soto is seven years younger, seven, and doesn't really show any sort of signs of veering off of this path. And the scary part is might only be getting better. I don't know how you could choose one guy over the other. I don't care how much you like him. I don't care how much you like Aaron Judge and how much he means to you and how big of a fan you are. It just doesn't make any sense to me. Now I know that you still have to put together a package that Washington is going to like and is going to satisfy them. But the Yankees should be going all in on Juan Soto. And you know what? If you're the New York Mets for the next couple of years, I think that you also make a run at him. Having this guy on your team for two seasons, I think still is more than worth its weight in gold. And if he leaves, so what? If you can't sign him long-term, so what? You're getting one of the best players in baseball to be on your team for the next two-plus seasons. And how do you pass that up? Well, because of prospects? Because of guys who are ranked pretty high, the fact that they're 20 years of age? Not knowing at all what their career is going to have in store? Not knowing if they're going to be able to stay healthy, if they're going to be able to produce? I mean, we've been down this road so many times. How many guys were branded can't miss, surefire? Oh, absolutely, 100%. These guys are the real deal, only to come up flat and only to wash out, and you don't even know what happened to them in their careers. Untouchable prospects that were the cornerstones of organizations until they weren't because everybody's got an expiration date. Everybody's got a limit, even in baseball especially in baseball. 800-919-3776, that is the telephone number. Far as the Jets are concerned, had an unveiling today of a little bit of a new look. And I guess it's a new trend now in the NFL because there have been like a handful of teams to put out a new alternate helmet because the NFL gave the green light to teams that you can have a second helmet. A little bit of an alternate look this year. You know, and, and teams like to try out these different uniform combinations to see if they can sell some merchandise. And, you know, the league profits, of course, by getting a lot of that merchandise money. So they all work hand in hand. And it's one of the reasons why the NFL is the juggernaut that it is and takes in more money on an annual basis revenue-wise by far than any of the other sports do. Not even in question. So the Jets have had this black uniform now for the last few years, ever since they did the uniform redesign. And instead, what you get 
is now you get a black helmet to go with it. Because the last couple of years, remember, since they had the black uniform, they wore the green helmet. Now you get a black one, though. It's, you know, it's kind of cool looking. It says the Jets in green, and it's got like a green face mask to it. You know, a little bit of a different look. A little unique. You know, not the worst thing in the world. Now, look, I'm a traditionalist. I'm old school. And after all, Jets are green, the green and white, gang green, whatever nickname you want to associate them with. So the fact that they got this black uniform now, it's a little bit out of the norm. You know, but they only wear it a few times during the season, so you learn to live with it, right? You learn to make do. And it does look kind of cool. You know, the design they came up with looks kind of cool. And they're not the only ones. Philadelphia trotted out now a black helmet that they're going to wear when they wear their black uniforms. Carolina did the same thing. Washington is going to have a black helmet. It's, it, it's sweeping the league. Everybody's got to have one. Surprise, the Giants didn't unveil one. Instead, the Giants unveiled the throwback one the other day, which looks absolutely fantastic. Here's where... I scratch my head a little bit, though, in all honesty. So the Jets announced the days that they're going to wear the black uniforms this year and the black helmets. October 30th against the Patriots, okay, day before Halloween. November the 27th against the Bears, which is Thanksgiving weekend. And December 22nd against Jacksonville. That's that Thursday night game. And it's their last home game of the season. Leading into the Christmas weekend there. That's fine. But what I'm a little uncertain about is two of those games, right? The New England game on October the 30th and the Bears game on November the 27th. Those are two of the games that they're going to have the ceremonies for the Ring of Honor this year. DeBrickashaw Ferguson goes in October 30th. Darrell Revis goes in November 27th. Those days are going to be about them, right? They should be about them. Those guys, great Jets, give them everything that they deserve. Proper tribute, honor. I guarantee, you know, we're going to blow it out of the water, of course, leading up to the game. And, you know, on game day, when we do our broadcast on the air, I'm sure we'll get to talk to those guys and looking forward to it, right? They should get all the honor in the world. And because of that, the Rickishaw Ferguson never played a game as a Jet wearing a black uniform. Darrell Revis never played a game as a Jet wearing a black uniform. They were like those Titans uniforms. Remember when they had those? I didn't like those. Remember those like in 2009, 2008? They were like those Titans uniforms from the early AFL days, 1960. Yeah, that, that didn't do it for me. The Navy ones, I didn't like those. But as far as like the black uniforms go and the black helmets, like they didn't wear those. So on those two days specifically, like I'm a little bit curious because like the team is going to look like Nothing like we saw DeBrickashaw or Darrell Revis look like ever when they played as Jets. Right? I mean, they could have picked other days. I don't know what went into the process. I didn't really get to talk to anybody over there since, but I'm, I'm just a little curious why those days. Maybe they could have went in another direction. I don't know. But, like, I remember the Dodgers. They did the same thing earlier this year when the Mets were out there, as a matter of fact. When the Mets were out there, remember to play the Dodgers? They, the Dodgers retired uh, Gil Hodges' uniform. The great Gil Hodges, who's going into the Hall of Fame this weekend, deservedly so, manager of the 69 Mets, but he, you know, had a great playing career for the Dodgers. That night, the Dodgers wore those stupid Nike City Connect uniforms, which are like all blue. They got the, the hat with the black brim on it. Again, uniforms that were never worn by Gil Hodges during his years with the Dodgers. And of course, his identity is more with the Brooklyn Dodgers, but nevertheless, 
why wouldn't you try to wear a uniform that's at least as close to the one that the player that you're honoring wore during his career? Seems simple enough, right? If you want to pay homage to the player, that's the direction I would think you would want to go. But not my call. And I put it out there on Twitter earlier today, like, you know, posted a picture of the helmets and, you know, wanted the feedback of the fans. Like, what, what do you guys think? You know, the Jet fans out there, what do you think? And I got to be honest with you, like, I haven't read all the replies and whatnot, but it's kind of, I'd say about a 50-50 split. Some people are more of the old school mentality, like, you know, I prefer the way things were. And some people like the look. And I think it's cool. And they think it's inventive. And they think, hey, you know what? Haven't been doing a lot of winning the other way. Might as well try something new to see if you can spark the club and maybe help you win some games on the field. Because more than anything else, I think if you're a fan of not just the Jets, but with any team in any sport, if your team is winning, the last thing that you're going to concern yourself with, the last thing you're going to care about is what the hell they're wearing on game day. They could dress up like Bozo the Clown. It don't matter. If you're winning games, that's at the forefront. 800-919-3776. So, curious. You know, fans, do you like it? Do you not like it? You're going to see plenty of it this year, at least on a few occasions for the upcoming season. Also, when we come back, talk a little bit about specifically the fact that training camp is going to start next week. Rookies are already there. Veterans will be showing up. And a handful of Jets, a few prominent ones, already are put on a list of guys that might need to be eased back in to getting on the field and getting ready for the season. Talk about that coming up next. John Harper joins me in about 15 minutes. Talk a little baseball. Dan Grasso with you on 98.7 ESPN. Odds scoreless in the second at City Field. Yanks with a 3-2 lead on the O's. In the bottom of the third, down at Camden Yards. Judge with a three-run blast. O's have got a couple back off of Jamison Tyone here in this third frame. We'll keep you posted. Let's go back to the phones. Mike Long Island up next. Talk a little Jetsies here on 98.7. Michael, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Good, Mike. What's going on? Hey, thanks for having me on. I just wanted to give uh, a little bit of an outside perspective. I'm actually a, an L.A. Rams fan. So when we changed our jerseys, you know, we caught a lot of flack within the fan base. A lot of people didn't like it or they were on, you know, on opposite sides. But you know what? Winning heals all wounds. So as long as the Jets start winning, you know, you'll see a lot of the new jerseys popping up everywhere. So, you know, it's fun to experiment and try out some new stuff. But as long as they start to win, who cares? Did you like because the the uniforms the Rams wear now, like when they first were unveiled, I, I I wasn't necessarily in love with them, but you as a Rams fan, did you like because the Rams went through a lot of different jerseys they wore like those navy ones, the ones that they wore when they were in St. Louis, and then they tried to like go back a little to the throwback style, which I thought was kind of cool, and now they settled on this. Did you like all these Ram combinations? Were you partial to one of them? Um, I think. The worst one was probably the bone one, which was like, it was like trying to be a throwback, but it was a little gray instead of yeah. white. I like the old school stuff, like you were saying. And, you know, it started to grow on me, like more of the, the old school jersey with the newer helmet. It's kind of like more of a sleek look. So, you know, I think that's cool. But honestly, like I was saying, as long as you're winning, everything looks great. They could be wearing mud. 
100%. And, Mike, you know what? You got a championship out of it now. So you're going to look at these jerseys and see the Super Bowl patch on them. And for the rest of the time, you're going to be happy about it. But I appreciate the phone call, my friend. And, and that's really all it comes down to, right? Like, you know, we talked about the Giants the other night. Giants are going to do that thing with the throwback ones. They're going to wear those 80s uniforms, the blues, for a few dates this year. And I think they're fantastic. Like, those should be the permanent uniforms. And I remember when they switched to the current uniforms that they've worn now for basically the last, you know, 22 years, I wasn't in love with them. I thought the helmet looked a lot weaker than the stupid NY as opposed to the word Giants. I, I just, I didn't think it looked as, as flashy that, uh, on the field. But what happened? Giants got themselves a couple of Super Bowl championships wearing these new uniforms. So you know what? If you're part of the older generation that saw them win in the 80s, you like those. And now if you're one of the younger fans and you got to see them win a couple of Super Bowls wearing the current uniforms, it's like the best of both worlds. Jets, unfortunately, we've been looking for the right combo for the last 55 years. Nothing seems to work. Hopefully, though, those days are changing. Hopefully things are getting better, right? Speaking of, here's our good pal Aaron Staten Island. He's up next here on 98.7. I, how are you, my friend? How's things? All good, Dan. Everything's good, and uh, hopefully see you out in camp in the next week or so. Um, hopefully yeah, it's not you know 100 what? degrees at camp. I think we'll sign for that one, right? Yeah, it's been, uh, you know, I'm in aquatics. It's been a brutal week at the pool this week, so hopefully the time calms down. But, um, you know, it's uh, it's funny you just mentioned uniforms, and, you know, who, who cares? I mean, I think the black helmets are pretty cool, and I think it'll be nice, but at the end of the day, you just want to win games. But going into camp, you know, I'm really fascinated to see how Salah and I guess, you, of course, you're going to put Douglas in there, what what their game plan is at rotating Fant and Beckton to this so-called left tackle competition. Um, I think they're, they're walking a fine line here because with Conor McDermott and Adoga, who both of them kind of proved that, you know, they're not really NFL starters if you need be. I think you could play with the chemistry, the offensive line. So I'm fascinated to see how they settle this. If like if one, if it's one week, one guy at left tackle, the other week, another guy, are they going to rotate him in practices? And I think it's going to be a fascinating thing. At the end of the day, I still expect them to bring in a veteran for insurance. Under they have to, Ira. They absolutely have to because right now I think that you know there is legitimate concern. At that tackle position. Not if both guys are right. Not if both guys are healthy. But how confident are we that both guys are that? You know what I'm saying? Because Becton, we only seen him play one quarter, not you know, barely a quarter, in the last couple of years. You know, the fact that he hasn't been doing football activity out there at all during the offseason. The fact that he's starting on the pup list. And even George Fant, who's still coming back from a little bit of a procedure. I think it was on his knee. Um, you're darn right there's some, there's some question marks there. Remember, last year... Morgan Moses kind of fell into their lap. He was a guy who Washington got rid of, and, you know, that is a starting caliber tackle, a good tackle. They picked him up as depth insurance, and he worked out great for him. This year, they haven't done that yet. You know, they brought Riley Reef, who was a former first-round pick. They brought him in for a visit. He still hasn't signed anywhere. I'd be very surprised, Ira, if they don't sign another veteran left tackle for some insurance before this camp is through. I, I, I totally agree with you, but, and, you know, I'm optimistic. I think it's going to be a productive year. I think a lot of things are going to be with the arrow pointing up. We'll see how it ends up. But at the end of the day, and, man, I tell you, I'm hard-pressed to remember 
when was the last time you could really think that a defensive coordinator coming up to play the Jets has to sit down and say, okay, I could take this guy away. I really don't have to worry about too much else. You've got to pick your poison now with the skill position players the Jets have. Just look at it. The tight ends, the receivers, the running backs, you can't cover everybody. So I think if LaFleur and Wilson take the next step, I think this is going to be a very exciting offense. I don't want to get crazy, but and I know that they ended up setting records and everything that year. On paper, this team has potential to be more explosive offensively than that 2015 did, team did with Fitzpatrick. The last time they were actually any good and they won 10 games. I think you're right, uh, 100%. Now, of course, Marshall and Decker were established uh, receivers, but I think Elijah Moore's ceiling, um, and I think let's see what happens with Garrett Wilson. And, listen, even with that team, they didn't have, like, you know, a tight end that you really did to put up big numbers. Um, so I, I expect them to do good things. And I think defensively, um, I think the secondary is completely overhauled. You know it. Um, the linebackers are questionable. I think the defensive front is really stout. And I think once everybody – once I, I think you have to get four games in the books. I think once everybody gets comfortable with the system, with playing together – um, I, I think this has the potential to be a really fun season. Ira, probably the most anticipation, and thanks for the phone call. We'll see you out at camp. Uh, probably the most anticipation that you had as a Jet fan going into the season, maybe since that 2015 year, right? Perhaps. Well, maybe, you know, 2018 they drafted Darnold, and, you know, you get excited because it's, you know, a highly picked quarterback, maybe new face of the franchise, onward and upward, even though that team that year you knew probably was going to struggle because the rest of the roster was still not very good. But top to bottom as a whole, it's been a good number of years before you felt like, okay, this team maybe could do something. And I'm not sitting here saying that they're a surefire, definite playoff team, but remember, this is the NFL. Right In the NFL, you never know who's going to be good from one year to the next. There's a team that comes out of nowhere that nobody picked to be any good that has themselves a special season. The Cincinnati Bengals. The Cincinnati freaking Bengals went to the Super Bowl last year. Let's say that all together. The Cincinnati Bengals went to the Super Bowl last year. Like I still have to remind myself that that happened on planet Earth. It wasn't like in an alternate existence. Right? It wasn't in the Spider-Verse or anything like that. It happened. So if the Bengals could go to the Super Bowl, you mean to tell me the Jets can't contend for a wild card spot? Jets can't even do that? Really? Of course they can. Now, easier said than done. A lot of things are going to have to fall into place. We have that Braxton Berrios cut, guys. Braxton Berrios. You know, think about it. Braxton re-signed. Didn't know if Braxton was going to be back because he had himself a good year last year. He was an all-pro returner. Really, really carved out a nice niche for himself in the slot, taking advantage of the opportunities he got in the offense last year. You thought that Braxton Berrios was going to price himself out of New York. But no, he came back. So a Braxton Berrios now is maybe like the fourth option as far as the receivers are concerned. When you have Corey Davis, Elijah Moore, Garrett Wilson, you throw in the tight ends with C.J. Uzama, Tyler Conklin, right? You think about the backs that they have coming out of the backfield catching the ball, whether it's Michael Carter, whether it's Breeze Hall. Zach Wilson has some guys he can throw the football to and let them make plays. So here's Braxton Berrios. He went on the Rich Eisen show. 
And he was asked, what happens if the Jets don't make the playoffs this year? How should you view this season? Take a listen. We have all the tools to be able to do that, absolutely. If we don't get there, obviously it's a failed season to everybody in the building, um, especially us players. This isn't a league or a sport where you can, you know, take rebuilding years and people are okay with that in, in the building. You know, the shelf life of every single one of us is not as long as probably most other sports, if not all other, you know, the major professional sports. So we're absolutely looking to go to the playoffs. That's the hope. That's the goal. And we're going to do everything in our power to make it happen. I love it. I wouldn't go that far. And Rich Eisen, of course, big Jet fan. I wouldn't go that far and say it's a failure if they don't make the playoffs. Now, if they start the season 9-1 and one and don't make the playoffs, then it's a failure. But... As I've been saying, there's no reason why this team should not still have meaningful games to play in the month of December this year. With an extra wild card, with all the improvements they've made to this roster, this team should be in the hunt once December rolls around. No ifs, ands, or buts. We'll do more football a little bit later on, but when we come back, as promised, the great John Harper joins me to talk a little Mets, little Yankees, little trade deadline, little baseball as we kick off the second half of the season. Dan Grasso with you till 10 right here on 98.7 ESPN. This is the Dan Grasso Show on 98.7 ESPN. Outstanding longtime baseball columnist here in the big city. See him and read him on SNY.TV. It's our good pal John Harper who helps us talk a little Mets-Yankees now as we start the second half. Harp, how are you, my friend? Thanks for hopping on. Yeah, I'm good, Dan. How are you? No complaints whatsoever trying to stay cool like the rest of us here. Um, yeah. I started off tonight with the Yankees and the fact that, as we all know, they've got themselves a little bit of an Astros problem. How big of an albatross do you think this is going to be for this team possibly down the road in October? I think it could be significant, Dan. They they just do not hit Astros pitching. Uh, really, if you want to go, especially in Houston, if you want to go all the way back to 2017 ALCS, you know, everybody talked about the uh, the cheating scandal and all that, but they did not hit. They didn't score any runs in Houston those four games, uh, and that's what cost them. And now you see the uh, – what do they played now uh, – Six, seven games, right? And yeah, um, seven. They haven't hit that. They haven't hit the starting pitching at all. They've they've done a little damage against the, the bullpen, but the starters have really uh, owned them for the most part. And I think it's you know Houston starters are good, but still, that's been the problem for the Yankees in the postseason against good pitching. They haven't gotten enough timely hitting, so I think this is significant. You know, and you look at Aaron Boone, and he was feisty yesterday after that game, and you know he came on our channel earlier today and kind of just doubled down on everything he was saying there last night. And I don't know, to me, he was kind of seemed like today he was in excuse mode. Like he was saying that, well, you know, it was a rough day out of the all-star break. Well, not for nothing. The Astros had to play by the same rules. And he's saying, well, Cole didn't pitch, Severino didn't pitch. Well, Verlander and Fran Valdez didn't pitch for the Astros either. So I wonder, <laughs> are, are the Astros maybe in their heads a little bit here? Uh, listen, they could be. Uh, it's It's frustrating for them to not score runs against a team like that. And really, I mean, the uh, the Astros could have won all seven of those games. The only, I guess the only time the Yankees were leading in any of them were when they won those two walk-offs, right? Yep. So, I yeah, it could be. I mean, I, I mean Boone, he's got to say what he's got to say. And uh, he's right in one sense because, really, you get to October and it may not – it may not be significant because the Yankees have their have pitching that should be able to match up for them for the most part, and then it comes down to 
just getting a clutch hit here or there because the Yankees pitching was good for the most part against the Astros. But look, I do think it's something to think about, especially if the Yankees, I think that's why it's really important for them to get home field advantage because I remember even in that 17th series, you you know, they, they lost the first two games in Houston. The atmosphere was totally different. New York was crazy. That's the loudest I ever remember here in the new Yankee stadium at the time. And I thought the Astros were really affected by it, you know, and um, mm-hmm. then you go back to Houston, it goes back to the same way. So I think home field advantage could play a big role in the, if they meet the, in the ALCS. Talking baseball with John Harper here on 98.7 ESPN. As far as the Mets are concerned here, all right, they make the move here for Vogelbach. That's not going to be the ultimate game changer. You figure there's still going to be moves to be made uh, between here on then. But DeGrom, Okay, they got by this latest hurdle about the arm soreness. It looks like he's going to make another rehab start and then get back out on that mound to make his debut. Realistically speaking, though, can they be confident in this guy the rest of the season, Harper? I mean, do they have to operate almost as if, hey, we need some insurance because we just don't know what we're getting out of Jake? Yeah, I mean, I can't see how you could be confident based on everything he's been through. He hasn't pitched in over a year. And even last year, there were so many stops and starts. And even even right now, you know, I mean, uh, I think uh, a lot of fans were hoping that he'd be coming back to start next week against the Yankees. Now he's going to take another uh, rehab start, which, look, I can understand in the big picture, all that really matters for them is that he's healthy, you know, come mid, mid to late August and September into the postseason. But I can understand fans really being frustrated because it does seem like it's a lot of little things that add up. And you, get, you feel like, you know, I would think you feel like you're holding your breath almost every time he's going to go out there now. So I don't know, though, if that's going to add up to them going for like a Castillo, Louis Castillo at the deadline, because I think they probably going to have to focus more on bullpen. And I mean, yeah, I don't I don't think Vogelback's the only bat you're going to get. He's got good numbers against righties. He'll platoon as the DH. But I think there's the areas it seems like that they're going to concentrate on. I'd be surprised if they if they are willing to give up what it would take to get a Castillo. Do you think right now the way the Mets are constituted, what do you think represents their biggest need? Would you go after another impact bat, or would you try to get an impact arm out of that bullpen? I, I get a couple of arms in that bullpen. But you know what? Yeah. I think Holderman, actually, the guy they just gave up, I thought he did a pretty solid job for them. I agree. You know, he, had, he had an injury. Yeah, I mean, he was pretty good. He had, he's got a nice little two-seamer sinker, and he's and he slider. Uh, I looked it up. The hitters, the league's hitting like 078 against his slider. So I thought he had some promise. And I saw Billy Epler was quoted as saying basically that it, it, it came clear to them that it was going to be easier to get arms at the deadline than it is to get bats. So they wanted to get in on one. And I do think we'll go back to help them. But I mean, for, not, for, them, for me right now, the priority has to be at, at least a couple of uh, reliable bullpen arms. I think it should start with David Robertson and then at least one more because uh, there's just not enough guys you trust in that bullpen uh, for me if I'm Buck Showalter. I, I agree. And, I mean, the thing about Robertson, I know he's been through some, you know, health issues the last couple of years and whatnot, and he's bounced around. But the one saving grace if they were to bring in Robertson is that you know that he can handle New York, right? He's pitched in New York. He's had success here. So even if it is playing for the team in Queens, you know that he can handle playing in the big pressure cooker of New York City. And, and I, you know, I asked this question, like, rhetorically. And, you know, just throwing it out there and watching this bullpen night in and night out. But aside from Edwin Diaz, like, who is the guy right now that the Mets have in that bullpen that you have the most confidence in? I mean, is there a guy, hands down? I think it's a fair question. I don't think – I mean, I, I'm pretty sure they right now, 
if they had to, I'm pretty sure Buck would say uh, Adovino, but and he has been good for them overall. But really, when you watch him, he's just not a guy you can trust in that eighth inning role. You know, when the game is on the line there late, that late, because he's so he he just has too much of a tendency to hang sliders in key spots. And those sliders, when he hangs them, man, they go a long way. So, uh, you know, I mean, Lugo is not what he used to be. He, you know, at times he looks good, but you just don't know what you're going to get from start to start, whether that's his arm or whatever. Um, I, early on, I thought it was going to be the kid Drew Smith, but he's obviously had some problems. So there really isn't anybody. You know, I think one thing they might hope for, too, is that if they do get DeGrom back and their other starters stay healthy, uh, that you get McGill at some point, he could be, he could slot in there. I could see him being a power arm uh, late, late innings in that bullpen. That might play really well too. Talking to John Harper here on ninety-eight-seven ESPN. All right, the the sixty-four thousand dollar question. We'll, we'll we'll take it in stages. First off, do you believe that by August second, Juan Soto was wearing a different uniform than the Nationals? <laughs> you know, I my first uh, first couple of days of that, I was saying no. It's going to take. It's too complicated. These kind of deals usually take me more time. But, you know, I've, I've talked to some people around the game, and the, the feeling seems to be I'm coming around on this. It, it might get done because the feeling is that they, they feel like they, the Nationals want to do it. This, this, I guess this ownership situation, they want it resolved. And also, you, you can't, you're never going to get more uh, for Soto than you are right now because, if you, you know, the team getting them is going to get three cracks at a – championship if you're getting it obviously it's going to be a contender it's going to try and get him as opposed to two if you wait till the postseason uh to the off season. so i do think i think these teams the teams that can make a pitch for them and have enough in their in their farm system they can make that decision uh to do that and i think i'm starting to think it will get done which would be <laughs> i tell you it'll be make for quite a suspenseful day if it goes down to the last day but uh you know, I, I I can see where a team that it feels like it's close, and I know there's been some talk about Seattle. He seems like that would be the perfect team because they're hot. They got a lot of young players. You put him in that lineup, and man, you never know what could happen. I I, I still contend that he's going to get traded, and I think that he's going to end up then with another team after that, just because of what he's going to command financially with the contract, him and Boris. You know, so he's almost yeah, going to be that a rental. Could, that could Right for the next couple of years, and then some other yeah. team with a big checkbook will be able to sign him there. Now, I know a lot has been made with the Yankees about, well, you know, can they afford him? And then you have the judge scenario, which is hanging over their heads at the end of the season. I, I and I, yeah, technically you can make it work with both of them, but Harp, I mean, over the last, you know, let's say decade or so, I mean, this isn't George Steinbrenner's Yankees anymore. Like, aside from Garrett Cole, when was the last time the Yankees went big game hunting in free agency and ended up with the top guy for a ridiculously huge contract? So why should I believe that this one's going to be any different? Yeah, that really, it doesn't happen. Cole was the only guy. I mean, I could see where, can you imagine George Steinbrenner, his mouth would be watering over the idea of getting both of these guys, but Hal's not like that, and uh, but if they got him now, they could take one run at a title with both Judge and and Soto. And I think, listen, you know Cashman, he's he he can be bloodless, <laughs> you know, and he doesn't mean man, he doesn't mind being the bad guy. Judge is a fan favorite, and they, ideally, I think a lot of fans would like to see him be the the face of the franchise and the next captain and all that. But if you know, he's seven years younger than right, uh, seven years older than Soto. I mean, if you're cashing, I mean, that's kind of a no-brainer if it's going to end up costing you similar money or maybe a little bit more for Soto. So I could see where if they feel like they can make this move 
and still be okay in terms of their organization, their minor league system, and all that. Uh, I could see Cashman doing it, and then going ahead and letting letting Judge walk, and just deciding to take Soho over over Judge. I can see him doing that. And really, I mean, would it shock anybody if Judge like does indeed walk when this is all said and done? I mean, because think about it, it wasn't good enough what the Yankees offered before the season he's gone out there and had an MVP season on the field this year he's not going to be a guy harp at least from everything we're led to believe that's going to give the Yankees a hometown discount in any way shape or form no I don't think so and um I, I mean if Soto's in play if he does somehow become a Yankee then no I, I, I mean I, I think he will have to walk away but I still would be kind of shocked if, if Soto's not in the, in the equation if he does walk away because you know, the Yankees, they've made it clear that this was the guy they were saving their money for when they passed on some of the key free agents in the offseason. Even though it's worked out for them, still, they're the Yankees. And this guy, he's everything. You know, he's the next Jeter and all that. And uh, he's going to he, – really, he's on a Hall of Fame track if he stays healthy. So, if you're the Yankees, how do you not go the extra mile? They didn't have to do it when they made that offer. But if he, did, if he gets to free agency and other teams are bidding – I just don't see how the Yankees can answer to their fans if they let a guy like Judge go, especially if they have a deep pro season run, get to the World Series or whatever this year. What did you think of the All-Star game and the festivities and stuff like that and all the different little things that baseball tries to do to rope in the younger fans? How did you think they pulled it <laughs> off? Uh, you know, it's it's such a – I mean, I like – I still like the kind of the glamour of it and, uh, in, you know, the introductions and seeing everybody. I hate those uniforms. Bring hate back them. the, the – uh, Bring back the uniforms. Everybody have their own, but um, it's and I don't want the home field advantage. I I want it to be this exhibition, but I have to admit, after the first three innings or so, it really does get boring. I, well, why do we have to? Why do they have to play everybody? Why do these guys I never heard of from the Twins or whatever have to be in the game in the fourth and fifth inning? Leave the big names in the game for at least six or seven innings. That would make some of them more interesting. But I did write about how. My my reaction to some of this mic'd up stuff is just let the especially the pitcher let the guy pitch. But then I have to admit I was uh, taken in by Manoa. He was really interesting to listen to, and then the exchange, the byplay between uh, Cortez and uh, the catcher, Trevino. the catcher uh, Torino. It was interesting to hear that. So I was they I came around on that. Fox won me over. I thought that that was interesting. I think it's you can't. I still can't see how you could do that regular season but it, i thought that was fun to catch catch a little bit of that but you have to have the right guys and those were the right guys no you know why it'll never happen in the regular season because there would be all-out wars on the field like you know how like now with social media and everything is glamorized the, somebody's going to be in the batter's box and realize the guy on the mound is mic'd up and he's trying to make him look bad and he's going to be offended by something he said and you know that there's probably going to be words and the benches are going to clear and it's just going to be a disaster all the time yeah, that could happen. Plus, you could probably—they'd uh, probably figure out a way, some team to tap into the right. to the microphone somehow, <laughs> and they, they'd be stealing the signs that way, you know. So yeah, yeah, get Be- get Belichick on the phone. He'll figure a way how to make it work. <laughs> after he after yeah. he after he's done coaching, he could be a consultant for uh, micing up the baseball <laughs> things. Let's see how that works. Harp, great stuff as <laughs> no always, doubt. my friend. Thanks for hopping on for a couple of minutes. Remember, you can read John on SNY.TV. See him on uh, SNY as well. Good to catch up again. We'll do it again soon, pal. Yeah, thanks, Dan. Great talking to you. All right. There's John Harper, uh, SNY, longtime baseball columnist. It, again, don't. Be, it's not a certainty. You know, if you want to look past August 2nd and past the Juan Soto stuff, it is not a certainty that even Judge resigns 
with the New York Yankees. You know, stranger things have happened in sports. This is the Dan Grosser Show on 98.7 ESPN. <laughs>